Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is the Anesthesia Learn on the Go podcast series from the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology. In these episodes, we will provide a high-yield clinical review of some of the common topics encountered by anesthesiologists at all levels. The following episode will be recorded by a member of our department at UK. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at UK Anesthesia and subscribe to the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology YouTube channel for our video cast. Now fire up your headphones, relax, and let's talk anesthesia. Hello, this is Annette Rebel from the University of Kentucky, and this podcast I will be talking about the basics of arterial blood gas analysis. This podcast will discuss an easy and structured approach to interpret arterial blood gas results. While ABG analysis can be extremely complicated and is subject of several textbook chapters, this approach is supposed to be the base, the easy, straightforward, simple approach to understand what abnormality you are looking at in this blood gas, and then to take it further to interpret the specifics uh, of this blood gas considering patient information, you need to do a much more detailed and profound ABG analysis. Usually an ABG gives you following information. The pH, the arterial partial pressure of carbon dioxide, the PaCO2, the arterial partial pressure of oxygen, the PaO2, then you get the bicarbonate level and base deficit or base access information. I like to structure the information into three different categories. Information about oxygenation, information about ventilation, and then information about acid-base status. For me, it is the easiest to start with an oxygenation assessment because here I only have to look at one simple number, the PaO2. And to maximize the value of my PaO2, I need to know at what FI2 this ABG was drawn at. Knowing the FiO2, there are three ways how you can interpret the PaO2 in your ABG as an indicator of lung function. The underlying question is like, how well are we oxygenating? So option one would be, you multiply your FiO2 by factor four or five. I use factor four if my FiO2 is close to room air, meaning 0.21 and I use factor five if my FI2 is closer to an FI2 of 1.0, meaning 100%. By this multiplication, I can roughly estimate what would be my best perfect PaO2 achievable by this FiO2. It's a rough estimate, but sometimes in the middle of the night, that may be good enough. Option two would be a calculate the alveolar partial pressure of oxygen using the alveolar gas equation. If I calculate the alveolar partial pressure of oxygen and I know the arterial partial pressure of oxygen, you know the difference. So how do I calculate the alveolar partial pressure of oxygen? 
a Vieira gas equation means I take my uh, barometric pressure minus the partial pressure of water. That difference you multiply by Fi2, and then you subtract the gradient of PaCO2 divided by uh, the respiratory coefficient that gives you your alveolar partial pressure of oxygen. So as I said, if you know your alveolar partial pressure of oxygen and your arterial partial pressure of oxygen, then you can calculate the AA gradient, and that is an expression how good O2 has been exchanged in the lung. The third option is to calculate the PF ratio by taking the partial pressure of oxygen divided by the uh, FiO2. It's a linear uh, relationship between uh, those para two parameters. And what we have learned in the ICU, if your PF ratio is above 300, that means you're oxygenating pretty well. If it's less than 200, it may be a worrisome lung function interpretation. If it's less than 100, your oxygenation is severely impaired uh, and uh, needs to be addressed immediately if possible. The advantage of PF ratio over AA gradient is A, PF ratio is very easy to calculate, B, very easy to interpret, it's relatively straightforward, and the biggest advantage is that the PF ratio is a linear correlation and uh, expression of the oxygenation function. So if I compare several blood gases drawn at different FI2s, it allows me the assessment if lung function has worsened or improved, and that the AA gradient would not that easily allow me that uh, assessment. So after uh, assessing oxygenation, now let's move on to the second category, to assess ventilation. Also here, it's one number you look at. It's the PaCO2. PaCO2 usually is between 35 to 45 millimeter mercury. And so it's easy to determine only looking at the PaCO2 if the patient is hypo or hypercapnic, meaning hyperventilating or hypoventilating. If you know the entitled CO2 at the time this ABG was drawn, you can also calculate the CO2 gradient, which is the difference between entitled and arterial CO2. This CO2 gradient is an expression of dead space ventilation. It's also the so-called Bohr equation. If you calculate the difference between the arterial and entitled CO2 and divide that by your uh, arterial CO2, you get the VD over VT ratio. That's your dead space ratio as a combination of anatomical and physiological dead space. So now moving on to the third portion of the information from your ABG. Now we assess the acid-base status. To assess the acid-base status, we include several parameters from your ABG. You look at the pH, you look at your PaCO2, and your bicarb and or base deficit and base excess information. The normal 
pH is between 7.35 and 7.45. It indicates acidosis or alkalosis if it's outside of these limits. Now it's good that we already have looked previously at our PaCO2 because if your PaCO2 is pathological, there's a respiratory dysfunction. You don't know if it's primary or as a compensation, but obviously it's outside the normal range. If you look at your bicarb or your base deficit, base excess, here you identify a metabolic dysfunction. Also, you don't know if it's primary or compensatory, but it's an abnormality. The way you do on riddle that if it's primary or secondary, you look at your pH. Your pH never overcompensates, so the pH therefore will always indicate your primary abnormality. If you're acidemic or alkalotic, this is your leading abnormality, and the other one is compensatory. So what is the difference between looking at the bicarbonate level or base deficit, base excess parameter? Do we need both? Well, you not really need both, but both of them have pros and cons, so it's kind of nice to be redundant. The bicarbonate level is a measured number, so therefore it is what it is. The base deficit or base excess, that parameter refers to the difference between the observed and the normal buffer status. It tells you the amount of buffer required to return pH to normal, which is 7.4, in the setting of a normal PaCO2, since PaCO2 also is a buffer system. In short, if there's a base deficit, that means I do not have enough base buffer capacity, so I have an underlying acidosis. If I have base excess, that means I have too much base buffer present, I have an alkalotic environment. So it makes the interpretation of my buffer system a little easier than just looking at a bicarbonate number. Both give you similar information, but it does require more interpretation. The most common acid-base abnormality seen in the operating room is probably the metabolic acidosis. So if you identify a patient with metabolic acidosis, there are more steps you need to do to identify what's going on and what you have to do. There are two types of metabolic acidosis, and it's important to determine which type it is so you can identify the cause and then treat appropriately. The key to identify which type it is, is to identify the gap. There's a high gap metabolic acidosis and a normal gap metabolic acidosis. To calculate the gap, which is sodium minus the sum of chloride and bicarb, so you need to have, get a, a chloride from your, from your blood gas and a sodium. Normal gap is usually between 8 to 12 milliequivalents per liter. However, keep in mind, if you have a patient with a low albumin level, you may need to correct that gap. Albumin is an ion, so therefore it contributes to the gap. It's not accounted for, 
but it can contribute to gap. If the albumin level is low, you need to widen your gap range. I'm sorry, you narrow your gap range. The reason to identify which metabolic acidosis you have is because there's a different causality. The high gap metabolic acidosis is caused by a presence of an unmeasured ion, which may be a toxin. So you have this mud pile, mnemonic, but you keep in mind like lactic acidosis, DKA, ketoacidosis, that causes a high gap metabolic acidosis, uremia, renal failure, toxins like salicylates, methanol, ethylene glycol, this can cause a high gap metabolic acidosis. And the treatment of this abnormality is to stop the cause. The normal gap metabolic acidosis behaves differently because here the cause is a loss of bicarbonate or chloride retention. You see that in diarrhea, GI fistulas, renal bicarb losses, or acesolamide. The treatment here is like, well, I'm losing bicarb, bicarb, so I need to replace bicarb. That would be the approach to a normal gap metabolic acidosis. Now it's obvious that in complex patients you can have both types of metabolic acidosis parallel to each other or even have a much more complicated mixed picture when you have a metabolic acidosis and alkalosis going on parallel. The way how to figure this one out is to calculate the delta-delta gap or to use Winter's correction. This now really is subject to further textbooks. So I hope here in this podcast I summarized to you a basic structured approach to look at ABGs in the operating room and to optimize uh, the interpretation. So always when you draw an ABG, write down your FiO2 and write down your uh, CO2 level when you draw it on. It will help you to get the maximum information out of your blood gas. You will have plenty of opportunities to practice that in the operating room, and I'm very much looking forward to that. Thank you very much. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have ideas for future podcasts, please reach out to us via email at learnonthego at uky.edu. Don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts as well, on Instagram and Twitter, UK Anesthesia. From all of us at UK Department of Anesthesiology, have a great day.